Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing CIC issue number 48, the dishonoring of God in popular spiritual warfare teaching. Now, if you're following along on the PDF, we are picking up right at the heading, The Power of Words and Unity. Now, to get us started, I'm just going to quote a little bit of the article, and then we'll probably spend most of this episode discussing Hebrews 3.1. So in your article, you say, Having decided that the church has the role of ruling the heavenlies in Christ's stead, the dominionist spiritual warfare teachers assert several theories about how it is determined whether we or Satan get the upper hand. One key principle is the supposed power of words. Francis Frangipane writes, Christ, as the high priest of our confession, Hebrews 3.1, takes our words, whether in faith or unbelief, and allocates back to us eternal life in proportion to our words. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm not even sure what he means there. Can you, can you um, explain I, that for I, us? And then let's talk about the issues. Okay, I get to address that. I wonder what, if people believe this, which they do, obviously. Yes. These people sell way more books than anybody speaking the truth ever does. How do right. you have assurance? I have no idea. It really makes everything dependent on us doing the right things, saying the right things, confessing the right things. How can there possibly be any assurance in that? Well, then how can eternal life be a gift from God that's uh, true for those who have faith in the gospel and who trust Christ, but it just sort of gets allocated out? Right. Allocates back in proportion. To our words. So if you say it right, you get more eternal life. <laughs> life is either eternal or it's not. I know. How do you have more something more eternal? I, I can't understand that. So before we started this recording yesterday, I emailed Jessica and asked her if anybody even knows who this frangipane is. Maybe this is dated. Right. What should I should know? I fill them in what I found? Yeah. So I did. So the three people that we've mostly been talking about in this article would be Kenneth Copeland, Francis Frangipane, and Ed Silvoso. So Kenneth Copeland, who you've probably all heard about, I think it's no surprise that he's still around. But he had 1.7 million Facebook followers. Wow. 1.7 million. So that's huge, and he's still teaching these same things. Frangipane Ministries on Facebook has 131,000 Facebook followers. Okay. And then Ed Silvoso seems to be kind of semi-retired, but his books are still out there. They're still okay. getting five-star reviews on Amazon. Okay. But he doesn't seem to be quite as prevalent as he was when this article was written, okay. but he's still pushing the same material. Okay. So thanks for that update. So we're not dated. It's just... Heresy just keeps going. Right. So what we need to do, and I found this over the decades that I've been trying to correct error and pointing people to the true gospel and what the Bible really says. Okay. The best way to counter 
air is clear, accurate, well-founded, well-researched Bible truth. What Amen. does the Bible actually say? Okay. Because the heretics and false teachers use scripture. They do. And it sounds like, wow, I didn't know that. You yeah. Jesus is only the high priest over the words I say. Wow. And if I don't say it right, then he's only sort of high priest. And if I say a whole lot of good things, then he gets a lot more to be high priest over. That should be shocking. Well, it isn't because people believe it. Right. And most of our listeners and watchers probably have run into people in that movement. And they are shocked if you say something like, oh, I had a cold or I have a cold or I don't feel good. Yeah. Because they think that your words are causing whatever it is you're describing. Right. They'll say, don't confess that. Don't call it. If you have cancer, don't call it your cancer. <laughs> that's a negative confession. Right. So that's still out there. Most everybody's running into folks who believe that. Right. So let's correct how they're using Hebrews 3.1. Okay. All right. Do you want to read that for us? Yes. In fact, I'm going to read it in two translations. Normally, I use the New American Standards, which is basically what most of them say, and it's not wrong, but it's easier for them to twist it. Okay. So let me read from the New American Standard. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Okay. Now, let me, and that's not wrong. And I'll explain how they, they can more easily twist that one. Okay. But let's look at the net. The net Bible says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, partakers in a heavenly calling, take note of Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Well, now that seems like an entirely different idea. Well, it's not that different in the context of Hebrews. Okay. But it's totally different if you listen to these false teachers. Right. And so I did a little research before we started recording and looked at various things that have been said about it. Okay. So the options are basically this. It's a genitive and genitives always create ambiguity in, in regard to finding the author's meaning. Okay. Okay. So an objective genitive Jesus is the object of our confession. Okay? okay. And really that's the only ultimate meaning, but it could mean there was a confession that was written down or verbal that Christians held on to. And maybe they're referring to that. Okay. Or things like that. So let me just read a scholar, Dr. Allen from the New American Commentary. He says, Jesus is called the apostle and high priest whom we confess. That's how he translates it. Okay. Literally, of our confession. There's the genitive. Homologia is the word for confess. And very simply, it means saying the same thing. Okay. But in this context, we're confessing Christ. The battle was whether you'd confess Christ. In the early centuries of the church, that was the touchstone. 
if you are willing to confess Christ, many times you just died. That's true. Deny Christ and live, confess Christ and die. Yes. An early martyr said, I'm not going to deny him. Right. I, I owe everything to him. So at issue was confessing Christ. Okay. And now let me continue with Dr. Allen. He says, there's a certain ambiguity in the author's use of this word resulting in several views on its referent. One, the content of the faith one confesses. Two, the act of confessing. Or three, the person whom one confesses, namely Jesus. Okay, so let's just look at it in its original context. The content of the faith one confesses. Well, the faith was once for all handed down to the saints. That's right. And so we're confessing truth about Jesus, virgin birth, death yeah. on the cross, resurrection, the person and work of Christ. Okay. Okay. The act of confessing, I'm confessing Christ or the person. The, the high priest whom we confess. Yes. And you actually have a really good message on that about discerning of spirits. And it comes down to, do we confess Christ? Do the, what, right. who's confessing Christ? Those who are true Christians will confess Christ. Right. The false prophets or anyone else will always get that part wrong. That's the issue. Yes. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when he comes, will testify of me. Right. So however you look at the genitive confession of Christ, in this context, it's Christ, his person, his work. And I believe we should just translate it so that it can't be abused by the false teachers, the high priest whom we confess. Right. That is really very clear. Yeah, there's nothing here that says he's sort of high priest but only over what words you speak. Well, and in the context of Hebrews, especially that section, the author of Hebrews was showing us that Christ was the high priest, that the sacrificial system, that the high priest, you know, on the day of atonement and all of that was insufficient. Christ fulfilled all of that. It's not, it's all about Jesus and what he did, not us and what we confess. Very good reading, Jessica, right on. Because if you look at the context at all, there were people that were tempted to commit apostasy. Right. To go back, the temple was still operating, which is clear from just reading Hebrews. Yes. And they still had the high priest. They still had the Day of Atonement. They still had the animal sacrifices. This is before 70 AD. And some people thought, well, this Jesus has gone into heaven. We can't see him. Okay. We could go back to the temple and the high priest on the Day of Atonement smells the bells, the pageantry. That looks great. Real bulls, real blood. It, it goes into the holy place. They could have gone back to that, but the author of Hebrews calls that apostasy. Yes. And it's damnable. Right. Or you can confess Christ who's seated at the right hand of God, Psalm 110 and verse 1. And that's the point. Are you going to confess Christ as the high priest, or do you want a high priest who just continually, the whole priesthood had to continually 
offer sacrifices. Right. That's throughout Hebrews. Yes. And honestly, we see a a parallel with that in Catholicism today. Do you want to go back and confess your sins to a priest in the confessional and go and see all the robes and the pageantry and the incense and all the stained glass and all, you know, all the veneration? Do you want to go see all of that? Or do you want to trust the finished work of Christ? Right. Or even the mass. Yes. Mostly Christ is sacrificed over and over again, which is what Hebrews warns is insufficient. Right. The real sacrifice of Christ happened once for all, and it's sufficient. Yes. So saying all of that, it's very clear what the author of Hebrews means. It sure is. This is limited to what words we say about whether we think we're sick or not, or whether we're telling Jesus we want you to go take authority over the city on our behalf. <laughs> right. Or we want you to go make sure we get the money that we need. Yeah. It has nothing to do with that. And here this dominionist, false teacher, I would say heretic, anybody that can't understand Christ and his high priestly ministry and what he did once for all, and twists it this badly, how can that person be a Christian? They can't be. They're preaching a different Jesus. Different Jesus, different gospel, and so on. So Frangipane, the heretic, says Christ is the high feast of our confession, takes our words whether in faith or unbelief. So instead of the issue being, faith in Jesus Christ and what he did once for all and the gift of eternal life and trusting him. Mm-hmm. Now, Frangipane says, no, he's a lot so much eternal life, depending on if our words are the way they should be or not. Wow. And uh, like you mentioned earlier, there can't be any assurance in that. Well, the, there's just about as much assurance as typical Roman Catholics end up with. Right. Why have a Reformation and end up with this again? Exactly. Because they they have to confess over and over. They got to go, Jesus is sacrificed over and over. Eternal life, you might end up with it, but it's very dicey. Yeah. Or you take the liberalized version of Rome and this latest thing, and even sincere Hindus are okay. They don't know what they believe. Right. Okay, so that's not our topic here, although certainly pertinent. <laughs> but what about these supposed evangelicals like Francis Frangipane saying that our uh, words are the only things he's high priest over? And I've heard most of those teachers say the same thing. Okay. I've heard Kenneth Hagin say that when I heard him back in the 70s. And Uh, Copeland, as you said, is still alive. And so this assumes that Christ's priesthood is limited to our words. Right. And that gives an awful lot of power to our words. It's almost like they're treating our words as a force that we use to manipulate the heavenlies or to manipulate the spirit world. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly what they do. And they don't even try to hide it because they think they know something that us ordinary Christians who trust Christ alone, believe the promises of God, believe the gospel, 
believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, the eternal creator, the second person of the Trinity, the virgin-born son of God, fully human, fully God, the sinless one, the one who died for sins, who shed his blood once for all, was crucified, buried, and raised on the third day, bodily, appeared to many witnesses, bodily ascended into heaven, and promised to come again. And then he raised at the right hand of God. And that's all cited in Hebrews, particularly Psalm 110 and verse 1. Right. His death once for all is cited. Mm -hmm. Some of the topics are found elsewhere, but Hebrews is about Christ and who he is and what he did, not about our words limiting God. Right. It it makes no sense. As you... uh, looked up some of these things that I don't do Facebook, but you have it. And you you saw all these people following this. Yeah. And then the two of us are reading books that we're going to eventually use to different books about prayer. Right. But I see this, the same theme in all of this. God's limited to what we allow him to do or give him a right to do or make it impossible for him to do because God's limited to our words or something like that. Exactly. And that's not a God who's sovereign over all things. That's a God who's dependent on us. Yeah, I think I maybe mentioned to you as I'm reading one of these books on prayer that are so popular, it's almost as if they're saying, he must decrease so that I can increase. Right. The opposite of John the Baptist. <laughs> yep. If God, if God is who the Bible says he is, well, then I'm not in control. I'm not in control of my own destiny. I'm not in control of my own well-being. God can't actually answer prayer because I have to specifically tell God what to do, where to do it, how to do it, when to do it. Otherwise, it won't work. Wow. You know, we don't serve a needy God. We serve a sovereign God. The needy persons are us. Exactly. They say that with correct grammar. I hope so. (laughs) Yep. We are the needy people. Let's say it that way. Yeah. Um, so high, the high priest, let's look at that idea. That's so important because the high priest in Judaism, in temple Judaism, was a sinner. Right. And the author of Hebrews said they had to have lots of different high priests because they died. Yes. And the priesthood had so many different people. And they died and they had to be replaced. And it was a continual thing. And the sacrifices didn't really take away sins because it had to happen over and over again. Right. And now if I'm remembering the law correctly, didn't the high priests have to make atonement for their own sin before they could enter the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement? They had to do it right. Yes. It was very dicey to go in there because they might be struck dead. And Hebrews talks about that. In fact, I think we have a series. Don't we have somewhere on our critical issues commentary, we have a whole series on Hebrews? That they, people... It is. It's over. A, I think there was like 55 episodes, a little over a, a year long, if, if you listened once a week. But it was a very thorough and excellent series that you can find on our radio archives. I thought so, because uh, Hebrews is so important. Yes. 
I know some people who were converted from Roman Catholicism, and they've told me that when they came to Christ, the thing one of the books that helped them the most was the book of Hebrews. And right. the other one was Ephesians. Yes. I when I read through Hebrews, as I mentioned earlier, it really makes me it's it's the it's the same lure with Roman Catholicism as it was for the Hebrews to go back to Temple Judaism. Right. And so dominionism in its various forms, you can find that in Rome, trying to conquer nations in the name of Christ as if God sent us to be rulers over geopolitical entities. Right. I mean, if, if you don't, if you know your history well, the popes were literally marching out to war, leading their enemies to conquer lands to add to the Roman territory. Right. And the result is Christendom, but I mentioned the other day um, with some Christians I met with from our church. Yeah. What's so ironic is now, if you look at 1 Corinthians, give no offense to Jew, no Greek, no the church of God. Yes. And that was the Gentiles that don't know Christ, the Jews that don't know Christ, and those who do. Right. But now people have to get saved out of Christendom. Yes. And the church of God is not Christendom. No. I mean, so how would you define Christendom? Christendom is the institutional church in its various manifestations, originally claiming to be the Holy Roman Empire, which I heard one of my teachers say accurately, was neither Holy Roman nor an empire. Right. But it's a misunderstanding. We have to conquer. We have to rule. We have to set up uh, some version of what Israel was to do in the promised land that ended up always going to apostasy and coming to judgment. Right. So now the church has to find some other promised land or make the whole world the promised land and rule over fallen sinners with the sword in the name of Christ. Right. Which is basically the whole post-millennial scheme. Right. Which is live and well in America. It's mainly our, our main heresy in America is post-millennialism. And so what we're saying is Jesus is the high priest who reigns in heaven as prophet, priest, and king. Yes. He's also here called the apostle in Hebrews 3.1. And the ultimate apostle sent his apostles. He, what he did, he did once for all, but he's going to come again in judgment. So the church isn't uh, Christendom. It isn't the Netherlands ruled by the Reformed, UK ruled by Anglican, France ruled by Rome, as it was conceived of after the Reformation. It's not going on the Crusades to kill the infidels to make them Christian, whether they like it or not. The amount of offense and abuse and harm that's been done by this and this whole understanding that rather than being converted, dead sinners made alive by the power of God through the gospel, joined to Christ, part of the body of Christ, 
a living organism alive because we are joined to him. We have the power of the Holy Spirit who works in us. And the reason we're willing to confess Christ is because of the work of the Spirit. Now, in this context, then, we see this dominionist, which is what we're talking about in this false spiritual warfare version. Right. It's just taking up the heirs of Rome over millennia and making a new version of it. Yes, exactly. And so that's what we're talking about. This dominionist scheme of Christians ruling over everybody else in the name of Christ and forcing them to do things the way we want them to is somehow the kingdom of God. It's all false. Right. It, it always has been false. It has never been the Great Commission. It's never been God's mandate, as they call it, the dominion mandate. And I've written about that. So mm -hmm. you have the technical versions of it, the Reconstruction Movement. You have the Rome version of it. And now you have this idea that, well, all categories are false and everything's evolving into heaven on earth. There's so many versions of it. So... Uh, listeners, if we're going to ever get free from all of this false teaching and understand the truth and understand who Christ is and what it means to know him and how the church is defined, we've got to ditch all this. Right. Okay. So we're not going to give Jesus the right words to use so he can unleash our supposed power to control everything on the earth. Right. Well, we are getting close to out of time. Do you just want to give us a little recap? What was Fran Japain saying about this verse? What is our claim? Okay. He's saying that the high priest of our confession means he's high priest over only what words we say as we say them. And the good ones or bad ones, he allocates. It says right here, he allocates back to us eternal life in proportion to our words. Wow. I'm saying Jesus is the high priest. We confess him. Yes. And that's our confession. Jesus Christ is Lord, the high priest, uh, who once for all died for sins. And everything the Bible says about him is true. Our words are fallible. He's not. Yeah. Eternal life is a gift. Eternal life yeah. is a gift. It's not allocated in proportion if we say the right words. That is so wrong to say that Jesus is limited to our words. See, right. the categories in the Bible are dead versus alive. Yes. Okay. God takes dead sinners, makes them alive as they believe the gospel. By grace, through faith, you're saved. Eternal life is a gift. You don't earn it by saying enough right words. And okay. this Francis Frangipane and um, the other people we're covering here, Earl Polk, we'll get to, Kenneth Copeland, they're not teaching us the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're harming people. And we need to quit listening to this and now people need to get saved out of false teaching groups that aren't even giving them the hope of eternal life. Right. 
We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as over a 100 articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.